encourage to lead episode 250. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Simon Meadows. Simon's mission and passion is to enable each person and organization to become more successful. Working with clients around the globe, from New Zealand through Europe, UK, over to North America, they benefit from hands-on coaching and world-renowned business growth tactics. Simon uses decades of real hands-on business experience to enable each business and coach he works with to overcome their business growing pains by increasing profits, building better teams, and releasing time of the owners and managers to live their dreams. Simon is committed to every client's success, working to key values of plain speaking, sleeves rolled up hard work, guaranteed results, and work-life ethics. He stands by his success guarantee, for which he agrees success results with each client and coach in his group coaching programs. Simon, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. And, and as you were saying that, Harlan, I thought, you know what? What a great intro this is going to be. I, I need to get you as a voiceover artist, Harlan, definitely. I would great do it, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. So you're in the UK. Whereabouts are you? Uh, I'm just north of a market town, a very historic market town here in the UK called Newark, uh, Newark-upon-Trent. And it's historic because it's very important in the English Civil War. Uh, so way, way back, it was where Oliver Cromwell came through and continued his campaign. And a lot of pivotal moments happened in our market town. So it was it was very important. And just down the road, we have a what I suppose you would call a cathedral. And that was very uh, a big part of that as well, because it was, you know, a lot of the royalty were connected to the church. Uh, so, yeah, very historic place. So I'm, nice. I'm, I'm always good to live in such a, a great place. Absolutely. Uh, now, were you born and raised there or locally? Yeah, not too far away. In the UK, distances are, are a little bit different sure. to other countries. But it feels um to my family and to my wife's family like we're in a different country but actually we're only about 26 miles away from where we were born so it's a yeah very very close very nice love that all right um i want to come back and talk about how you got your start who you work with how you help them all kinds of good stuff like that whatever else pops up um but before we get started i have 10 questions that i like to ask each one of my guests these are yep. questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I always figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Simon, yep. if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. I'll give it my best go. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is anti-disestablishmentarianism. <laughs> And I'll tell you for why, Harlan, because it's one of those words at school, and it was the longest word that I ever managed to spell and win a spelling competition with. It's got one more letter, I think. I think it's 27 letters, so it's one more letter than the alphabet. Nice. So, yeah, that's my favorite word. Very cool. And can you use it in a sentence? Uh, yes. 
Don't ask me to spell it. No, no, no. Absolutely. All right. But it's, what is it's your all about it's all about breaking with the the norm. It's all about being disruptive in the establishment. And it was again comes back to those old church days and the old um, sort of establishment of uh, you know organizations and ways in which things were done. So yeah, to be anti that. So yeah, that's that's my explanation of it anyway. <laughs> Good job. All right. What is your least favorite word? Can't. Uh, and right. I, I just that frustrates me so much when I hear people say I can't. And if they've got a good reason, I might accept it. But for most people, it's just too easy a word to use. Absolutely. I will accept I don't want to or I won't. Hmm. But I don't accept can't. Yeah. yeah. I'm with Correct. you. Perfect. All right. What turns you on? Colors. So I like bright colors. So that lifts me up. It gives me a bit of light in my day. I don't like dark colors, but colors. And I you might be one of might be answering one of the questions later on. But yeah, colors definitely. Nice. All right. What turns you off? Oh, what turns me off? Uh, negativity. I, I've learned in all my life to try and steer away from people who put me down or say oh really do you think you can really do that so i don't i don't like negativity what sound or noise do you love oh birds you know where we live we're very fortunate and um, particularly when we had all the lockdowns of covid that the sound of the birds around us the owl in the morning the the hawks the buzzards the robin yeah the swallows i always know when the swallows come because of their noise as well so yeah birds definitely very good all right, what sound or noise do you hate? Oh, yeah, that takes me back to my school days. And I'm sure you've had many guests say this. It has got to be anything that scrapes on a blackboard uh, or a chalkboard that shouldn't be. So nails, oh, no, anything like that. That just goes through me. All right. Um, what is your favorite curse word? favorite curse word well and it's a favorite because it's one uh, my mom was uh, brought up in the assemblies of god pentecostal church so we weren't allowed to use any expletives at home at all even here in the uk i don't know if it's some a word that's used elsewhere we quite often used to say oh bloody hell or yeah oh fancy bloody doing that and my mom used to really really hate that and she said it's made up historically of by our lady. So bloody is short for by our lady, which, of course, is disrespect to the Virgin Mary. Uh, and it's my favorite word because I know it's the one that really wasn't that bad, but it's the one my mom would always pick everybody up on. So, yeah, that, that would be my favorite for that reason. Very good. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, what profession other than my own? Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be surgeon because I can't even watch the TV programs where scalpel goes through a skin, even on anything like CSI. Um, I think generally, oh, what would it be? Oh, that's a really good one. It would be the driver of a steam train. You know, I, I live uh, beside what's called the East Coast Line, and occasionally we have... Uh, steam trains come along very you know, historic steam trains so being able to drive one of those and have the coal and the steam that would that would yeah that would be great 
Nice. And then what profession would you not like to do? Oh, uh, it would be surgeon. Anything mm. medical, anything like that. Yeah, I, I hate my blood being taken. So a nurse, you know, I take my hat off to them, how they can keep sticking needles and drawing blood out of people, I don't know. So uh, anything that involves blood, basically. Okay. <laughs> All right, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, now that that makes the goosebumps stand up on the back of my uh, head. Because it would be your mum is waiting over there for you. Nice. So that would be that would be mine. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the songs that we played at my mom's funeral was, um, or it was, uh, "Go Rest High on the Mountain" uh, by my favourite group, Home Free, and they saying, uh, "Heaven will hear your voice and come through the gates of singing." So yeah, I'd love to have God say, "Your mom's waiting for you over there," because I know she'd be singing as I walked through. So yeah, that would be it for me. Good job. Good job. All right, Simon, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you got your start, um, who you work with, how you help them, some of the programs you have going on and things you have in the works, because I know you have a lot of fun stuff going on. And at some point, we'll transition into courage and leadership. Okay? Sounds good. So, all right, listeners, we'll talk about all that and more right after this. So stick with us. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, make sure you share it with your family, friends, colleagues. Uh, like it, leave a review, and definitely subscribe. When you subscribe, that helps boost the podcast to where it's uh, seen and heard in a lot of different areas. So make sure you hit that uh, subscribe button and subscribe. And uh, again, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. And I'm back with my guest, Simon Meadows. Simon, thanks again for taking time out to uh, to speak with us. Listeners, I need to tell you, Simon is one of my favorite people. He has been my business coach for the last eight years. I think it's been eight years. It is. Wow. Yeah. It's been eight years. Um, and uh, I don't know who should have the medal, me or you. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Probably. And we'll get one in the background. Because I'm the coach, that's why, right? That's yeah, what it's all about. That's the shirt you sent me, yeah, all the way from Atlanta. <laughs> Um, but it's been a great, great time. And this is a very special episode of the podcast, episode number 250. And uh, mm -hmm. it's been a great ride. And I really wanted to share this final episode with Simon, my buddy, Simon. Um, so we share a lot in common. Absolutely. Aside from dashing good looks, um, you are a pilot, right? You, I fly fixed wings, you fly rotaries. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a long while because my medical expired when I had to have a hip replaced at 50, which is not what I was expecting. But yeah, I, I love anything aviation. Yeah. How did you get into helicopters? <laughs> well, I, I'll share one quick thing first before I say that story, because one thing I've never done, and I got so close when I was in the air cadets when I was younger, was to go gliding. And I've actually won and bid for a gliding experience at a, a recent charity auction. So in a few weeks' time, I'll get my first experience in a glider. I don't know if you've been in a glider. No. I suffer terrible with motion sickness, so I'm not quite sure how it's going to work out. But, uh, yeah, so I'm going to be gliding. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. My, my helicopters came from two things. One, I went to see Tony Robbins back in 2005 uh, at the Excel Centre here in the UK. And not only did he turn my life around and save my marriage, you know, because I'd gone there to get enough motivation to get divorced because of quite a, 
you know significant thing that had happened in my life and tony walked me through the weekend and i came back with the complete opposite and came back with uh, a complete commitment to make the marriage work and we're still married all this time after them but he told a story about learning to fly a helicopter and getting his own helicopter and flying over the waves um on, on the coast and seeing dolphins come out of the sea and then he talks about flying over a big long queue of people queuing up to get to an event and he's thinking how are all my guests going to get to the event with that queue and of course they were his guests as he flew over it so that inspired me to think about it and a friend of mine had a, a Cessna a Cessna 172 and he used to take me flying and we used to go up regular Roland and he said yeah, you ought to learn to fly. You can use my machine anytime. You ought to learn to fly. And I had to be really honest with him, Harlan. I said, you know, whilst I love coming up with you, you know, we go to an airfield and we have a bacon butty and, you know, have a breakfast. I said, I, it really doesn't do it for me. And he turned around one day and he said, you're absolutely right, Simon. I feel the same. He said, that's why I've started to learn to fly helicopters. Hmm. And the Tony Robbins thing and his statement, I said, really? where he said oh at the school here on the airfield i said oh you need to introduce me and he introduced me and it was less than nine months later i'd got my license and i'd bought my first helicopter as well yeah. so yeah so that was that was a great thing and yeah never looked back it was a <laughs> listeners i can share with you it is the most expensive thing that i've ever done i might as well just set a light 50 pound or 50 dollar bills but um yeah, it was something I would never go back and change, but it was, uh, yeah, life life changing experience, definitely. So I'm sorry for the slightly long story there. No, that's fine. No, and I, I'm I'm with you. It's an expensive hobby. Um, I used to travel for consulting, right? I'd fly back home on the weekends and go over to the airfield, and if the weather was fine, we'd fly. But I'd have to have my instructor with me for a lot of those flights. Just renting the plane, filling the plane up with gas, so expensive, so crazy expensive. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, and mm. you know, with, heli with helicopters, it just costs you so much just to keep them on the ground as well. You know, they're just just so expensive because they're they're depreciation depreciating. Get my teeth into gear mm. every single hour that it flies. You're getting closer to that complete rebuild where the right. the helicopter is worthless. So not only is it costing you a fortune to fly, it's depreciating at, at, at you know at an incredible rate as well. So yeah, uh, def definitely one to do, but I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. So you've, you've had several businesses over the years. Tell me about your entrepreneurial journey. Where did you, what was your first business and, and where are you at now? Yeah, well, my, my first business was a construction business. And yeah, my background here in the UK, we have something called a quantity surveyor. So I dealt with all the figures and the numbers and the costs and estimates to do with construction projects, both but estimating and once the project's underway, making sure you get paid what you do. And I got fed up, Harlan, of making way too much money for everybody else that I worked for and not really getting rewarded or recognized myself. And a, a site manager would get the job done two weeks early and he'd get a big bonus. I'd make an extra million pounds worth of profit and get zero recognition because it was expected as part of my job. So I decided to set up uh, with a business partner, uh, Dean, and that was my first step into it. And we worked late at night for 12 months. I just bought a house. I just got married. So I didn't want to step straight into the 
the entrepreneur journey. So I literally used to work from 6 p.m. till midnight, three or four nights a week, working, building this business up for 12 months until I got enough money in the bank uh, to take the step into full time uh, my own business. Uh, and then I took on a business coach myself and I just get bored very easily. So about every 18 months, I created a new business or I saw a shiny new thing. So I became the UK's first importer of Canadian hot tubs. And, you know, I had an e-learning business. I have a training business. I took over the garden center where the hot tubs were based. Uh, yeah, so lots and lots of different businesses, but it all started from that first deciding, yeah, I wanted a little bit of the lion's share of what I was contributing to the business rather than just being given a salary. Nice. So you didn't come from an entrepreneurial family? Absolutely not. No, no. My my dad was a, a miner. My mum was an accountant, a CPA. So absolutely not. And had no encouragement to mm. uh, and had no friends that ran their own business neither. Um, I just got fed up. I, I suppose my business partner was the only person I knew because he was a painting and decorating contractor that worked on the sites. And he wanted me to do some work for him uh, to help him with his business, doing some pricing. And that's how we built up our friendship and relationship. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, it's weird when you're the first person in your family to do something, they all either they don't say anything or they give you all the reasons it can't work. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I talk about that a lot in, in my podcast and I mention that with a lot of guests because my parents were uh, neither supportive nor dismissive of anything that I did. Mm. And that's very hard to deal with as a person, particularly as a uh, somebody who's starting off in business. I mean, don't get me wrong, wrong, you know, in all the businesses I've ever had, the first check has always been from my mom, always. Uh, apart from the business coaching one, that's that's probably the only one. I say that's, that's the only one. So the support was there, but it was never encouragement. It was never what a great idea, but it also was never you shouldn't do this. So every decision I had to make, Harlan, was based upon my own intuition and from my own research and from my own reading. Uh, and that that I think actually for me, one shaped the person that I am, but also was quite an obstacle and quite a mountain to climb to get over that because, you know, I really could have done with somebody giving me a, a bit more encouragement, definitely. And that's why I took on my first business coach because you need that that critique and you need that encouragement. Oh, certainly I do, definitely. That feedback, absolutely. So then when did you turn to coaching? Oh, well, that's, that's an interesting question. Um and not many people probably even aware of this, but when I worked in business, I was 21 years old and I, I was in employment and I was given the opportunity to run a team of people. And I was still at university doing my degree. I was working there part, part time um, and at university the other couple of days a week. And it was one of those where they asked for a volunteer and everybody else stepped back. And I was, OK, I'll give this a go. And I realized that most of the people in the team were much older than me. They were in their 50s. And I thought, how are they going to listen and take notice of me? Hmm. So I did my first coaching qualification back in 19, what, um, 1988, 
1989. And it was life coaching and performance coaching. So that's that's all I could do back then. And then I did team building. So I started the coaching journey and understanding how to get the most out of people way back then. And when I had a business coach in business, I always had a vision on a, and a plan, a very clear plan that I set when I was 23 years old, which is when I started my first business of retiring, semi-retiring at 50 to become a coach. And then the banking crisis came along in 2009 yeah. and it forced me to do it eight years early. Yeah. So I've been a business coach now since since January 2009. So quite some time. Very cool. And so now you work with businesses, but you also work not only to coach the business owners, to help them, mm. their businesses be better, but you also work with businesses who may want to sell their business, right? Yeah. Um, and that, that for me came about more by chance. So I've, I've, I've built businesses and I've exited businesses. And in fact, I was talking to one of John Warrilow's uh, team earlier today from um, Value Builder, who uh, John Warrilow is the author of book Built to Sell. Mm -hmm. So when I had the construction business, I read his book and I built the business with a view of selling it. And I managed to sell it off. Uh, um, I wouldn't say I maximized the sale potential because it was in the banking crisis and everything was going down, but I managed to walk away with my head held high. Um, but by chance, I found with tech businesses, I got a gift of being able to get them sale or investor ready in about 18 months because that's my personal cycle. Mm. Um, and it's so important because so many businesses don't, and then they get to the end of their life of a business and then they panic to try and sell it and they get a pound or a dollar for it. Right. If they're lucky. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to change that. So uh, I help a lot of tech businesses in particular do that. Nice. Um, you know, my wife, Lisa, she's always talking about the headspace of abundance versus a headspace of scarcity. When you're in a headspace of scarcity, you make dumb decisions. Sometimes you sell too early, you sell too, too low. If you're feeling abundant, if you're feeling like your business is successful, right, and everything is clicking the way it should you're apt to get a much better sale price. Now, I, I know you've got a story, don't you, about a client that you worked with who had a business he had hoped to turn over to his kids when he yeah, retired. Yeah. And they yeah. said they didn't want anything to do with it. So you yeah, helped him I'm, get ready to sell. Yeah, and and to be honest, that's you know several businesses that I've come across. You know, The landlord of the garden center that I was a tenant in, um, he did the same. You know, he, he built his business to hand over to his kids they didn't want it. And he ended up shutting the business down and he lost almost everything. You know, when, once those liquidators came in, they stripped it bare. They took the money out of the bank to pay the guy's wages that, you know, this person had put to one side to make sure he looked after the team. Yeah, you know, but I know businesses as well. I've helped a business, a construction company who want to sell their business for 750,000 pounds. He wanted 1.2 million for it. Uh, and after 18 months of building it so that it had some value, you know, he, he had an offer of five million pounds on the table and he decided not to sell because he was making that much money. Um, he decided not to sell it. But one of the things, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned you uh, to this, you Harlan as well, is I had an offer to buy a business, to sell my business some years before I actually exited it. And you say about abundance. Uh, I could have easily sold it for two, two and a half million pounds. 
and the offer came in but abundance was definitely there i was driving fast cars i was flying the helicopter i was working two and a half days a week living the dream traveling the world watching motorbike racing uh and my ego got in the way so the abundance was there but i i actually sat there and thought why would i sell my business when i'm living the dream but what did I know was around the corner? Yeah, I didn't. And if I knew two years later that that crisis was going to come in 2009, where I'd walk away with you know a fraction of that in comparison, you know, I'd have snapped their hand off for half the price two years before if I if I knew. So I think as business owners and as leaders in business, we have to be careful that we aren't the ones that get in the way of the right time to sell as well and i recognize that in myself but i see a lot of other people they're the biggest obstacle to selling their business at the right time as well yeah and and do you find that with a lot of your clients that they are the reason they they are what is holding them back from their success yeah i'm not sure if they're the ones holding them back from success i think there's an element of that but i do think that they once they get closer to the realization that they're going to be selling their baby, you know, their creation, a lot of business owners consciously and subconsciously, mostly start to sabotage that process. They start asking too much. They put restrictions on it because they're trying to give every reason why they shouldn't sell their, their business, you know, their prized possession. So I definitely see them get in the way of the sales process. I think they can be successful, but they definitely get in the way of the sales process because their other worry is what happens next? You know, when I sell it, what do I do next? Where do I go now? And if you aren't ready for that, that's, that's a big problem. Yeah. Well, that's where the planning comes in, the exit strategy, right? What are you going to do? I, I used to work at Lockheed Aircraft years ago, and we had a guy that retired. And the very next Monday, he was standing outside the front gate waving hello to all of us as we were coming in it's like what are you doing here you're retired he goes i have nothing else to do and literally like three four months later he died because he just you know his his entire life was around working and the job that he had at lockheed and he didn't have that anymore yeah and and i think as business owners you imagine the intensity of that for that guy stood at the gate you multiply that by a factor of 10 Mm -hmm. and that's why so many business owners get in the way because they 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 find it hard to let go and i'm sure the businesses that you've worked with in the past most business owners struggle to let things go you know we like to hang on to things we like to think we know best and we don't like to delegate and you know that is the ultimate delegation when you put your business in the hands of somebody else you know it's so so crucial that the planning takes place to avoid that definitely yeah so you bring bring up the point that a lot of business owners can't let go, um, not just when they're getting ready to sell their business, but in the business, delegating things to other people. It's like they don't want to let go of that piece because they do it so well. Is it a significance thing where they feel if they give that away, they're not as important as they were? What do you think holds them holds them back from that? Oh, yeah, we could talk about this for the next two days. I, I think significance, definitely. Um, I think there's also an element of trust I think most business owners through the process don't build up enough of the processes and the right people uh, that they recruit. And I know, you know, 
uh, hiring the right people is is one of your strengths and then dealing with change they don't build up that trust where they feel they can actually put it in the hands of somebody else even if it's a small task i used to have a contracts manager who wouldn't even trust the apprentice to sweep the floor because he didn't do a good enough job yeah you head off to site and do the more technical things and i'll stay behind sweeping the floor you know and i was paying him you know a huge amount of money a year to sweep the floor and it was like no it's got to change so yeah uh, yeah, i i think there's all different factors and i think you're right significance is a is a big part of that as well as contribution if you delegate you might feel that you you're losing that opportunity to contribute to the to the task and to the process as well yeah um i've got a client michael uh you know we've talked about him before on mm, our pulse yeah. um great his business is growing his his team is phenomenal he started to delegate so much to his leadership team that now he's struggling to find things to do and he goes i i don't feel like i'm as as needed as i was because so and so is doing this so and so is doing that that's yeah. that's tough for them you know uh, my my job or what i'm trying to do with him is elevate him to that visionary level where he can say here's where i'm taking the business he can start setting up those relationships with his clients while the team yeah. helps um, implement his strategy you know for yeah. that vision so and i think what you say about significance is very important because um as as leaders um we we feel that we want to have an impact we want to make a difference and I say that contribution is so so important as well as the significance side of it so we've got to feel that we're doing something that makes a difference just having busy hands the most business owners and most leaders in business whether you're a manager uh, or a ceo etc you've got to feel that you're making a difference you've got to feel that you're having an, an impact and that's what it is to lead isn't it you know it's to make a difference absolutely so who do you work with? You talked about IT companies. Who else have you worked with your clients? Do you have a, a certain niche you're in or do you help really any business? Well, uh, as as chance happens, it is any business, but that is by chance. Um, by purpose, I work with uh, three niches or niches. Uh, the first one is construction because that's my background. So I tend to attract a lot of construction businesses. Uh, I don't target them. I certainly attract them. Uh, I certainly target uh, tech businesses, so digital businesses, web designers, app developers, people who have any kind of software as a service um, into the group program I have. And of course, you know how we met uh, coaching other coaches, because when I was coached by other people, I decided because of the reputation the coaching industry had here in the UK of being overpriced and under delivering, I wanted to change the world's perception of what business coaching was about by delivering exceptional return on value. So I can only do that by working with so many businesses. But actually, if I help other coaches, you know, and I help you, Harlan, be a better coach, then actually my mission can reach more businesses. And that's what my mission is about, to enable more businesses to be more successful. And doing that through coaches is an absolute pleasure because coaches are great people to coach as well, which is uh, that's, that's a good focus of mine as well. Yeah. And we talked about that before. The coaching other coaches is a little bit different than coaching businesses, because a lot of times the business owners think 
everything I'm doing is, is fine. It's gotten me to where I am now. I'm paying the bills and keep the lights on, keep the doors open. So they're a little less open sometimes to coaching where coaches yeah. have that open mindset. It's like, I want to learn. I want to be better. I want to try something new. I want to do something different. Do you find that difference between the two groups? Uh, I do, but ironically, a lot of coaches still have the perception of I'm a coach. Why do I need a coach? Hmm. Yeah. And as a business owner, I've always had a coach, you know, in over 20 years of being in business. And as a coach, I've always had at least one coach, usually two. So I normally have a business coach and I have a marketing coach. Um, you know, as you know, you know, my one of my favorite coaches from a marketing point of view is Taki Moore. And I give hmm. him a lot of credit for the marketing I do. Um, so there, there is still this perception as there is with business owners. I think there is that commonality of why do I need a coach? Because I'm doing okay. I'm doing well as I am. Uh, and even when people are struggling, it's that admission that they need help. And yeah. a coach, I think, feels more, if I'm getting help, how can I then help other people? So there is still that stigma around that. But uh, it's a hard one to break down for both business owners and coaches. Yeah. Definitely. So working with the leaders in the small businesses and mid-sized businesses you help, what are they, what are they missing? What are they, what are they getting wrong? Oh, again, that's a wide open question. I think there, that's something that changes depending on what the environment is. Um, I think there are a few common themes and I would say this in all my years of being in business and all the years of being a business coach, the one consistent thing that I see business owners and leaders in particular get wrong is communications. Mm. And they can blame it on processes. They can blame it on culture. They can blame it on people. But at the core root of it, it usually boils down to poor communications, poor communication at the plan, poor communication between people. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's the most common problem no matter what the size of business, um, whether it's small, large, even if it's communications with themselves, that self-talk communications, definitely something that every leader, every business owner ought to be looking at and working on. Yeah. Yeah. As a consultant, that's one of the things we really worked on was that communication plan. Who should the communication come out from, right? Because that's that's important. Is it just the immediate supervisor? Is it the director? Is it the business owner? that's making, yeah. you know, that, that, uh, announcement or whatever. Um, and also uh, what vehicle sometimes, uh, one-to-one -one meeting is a lot better than an email or a phone call, you know, so right. it depends on what the message is and how you want to deliver it and everything like that. And I think we've, you know, with everything that's happened, you know, as we record this with the pandemic and, you know, cost of living crisis and modern technology, we've become very good at sending whatsapp messages sms messages facebook messages and it's really really difficult to give the meaning of the words some depth and the interpretation of those words can be very different by the sender and the receiver where actually in a telephone sure. call you can say sorry <laughs> that's a bit sharp what do you mean by that uh yeah my my wife has just had an example of that with her she just lost a job, unfortunately, and her boss sent her a message and the way Angela replied to it, and they just got into this battle of text messages. And Angela was very upset about it. And her ex-boss, as she now is, 
surprisingly was getting very agitated and very angry about it. And it was like, just pick up the phone and talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. see that the method of communications is a, is a big obstacle at the moment as, as well as the, the frequency of communications. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Lisa. I talk about Lisa all the time. I talk about my wife all the time, but she has. She always says that communication. So is sure. She's a very wise woman, by the way. She is very wise, the smartest <laughs> woman I know. Um, yeah. Communication is an away game, right? It's not what you say; it's what they hear. And if they hear something that upsets them, it's something yeah. that you said or didn't say correctly. And you're right. The minute there's that miscommunication, pick up the phone, go to meet that person in person, and and talk it through. Don't yeah. rely on email because there's there's too many ways that they can be misinterpreted. You put emphasis on a word that they never in, imagined, right? Yeah. Um, or the word that you use has a totally different connotation to them. So yeah, it's better just pick up the phone or, or go to meet them in person. Yeah, and, and the thing I see, particularly with family businesses or small businesses where you've got two or three business owners and they're the core people delivering as well, because they're talking all day long in their business, and families do this, and then they go home in the evening and they sit around the, the dinner table. They don't seem to think that communication is an issue. They don't have meetings to talk purely about business. They feel that mentioning something in passing is good enough. Yeah. Uh, and it very often isn't. Like you say, they say it, but that doesn't mean that the other people around the dinner table are listening or hearing it as well. So it's such a challenge in smaller businesses just as much as it is in the bigger businesses as well more so perhaps more so yeah and family businesses bring a whole different dynamic because yeah. things that are going on in the family could now come into the business and disrupt things so yeah yeah and they That's shy true. away from conflict don't they you know they sure you know patrick lencioni talks about in his book you know healthy conflict it's one of those you know key elements of of building a, a good functional team and if you don't have that healthy conflict and families struggle with that and business partners struggle with that as well, because if you haven't got somebody to challenge and do it, have that conflict, it's growth isn't going to take place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you look for in a leader? Oh, what, what somebody who's got vision, you know, you, you can only be a leader if other people are following you and to follow, you've got to be going somewhere. So unless you as a leader are going somewhere yourself or have a plan of where you're going to go, then nobody else is going to follow. And people call themselves leader, but they really not going anywhere. And then they wonder why nobody is getting behind it. So, uh, yeah, that would be the key thing for me. And it's again, it's one of the things that schools, colleges, universities don't seem to teach that well that that ability to create a vision and a mission of how to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be a separate course, which I, I would like to see more of it blended in with the business courses, right? Definitely. Not just teach you the, the foundational elements of the business, but how to be a leader in that business. Yeah. Yeah. So, so important. Yeah. Such a critical thing that's missing. Definitely. So in all of your uh, different businesses that you've run over the years, um, You've had employees reporting to you, right? People reporting sure. to you. If I was to bump into any of those people and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader oh. are you? <laughs> what would I hope they'd say or what would they say? Uh, I think most of them would say Simon is somebody who walks the walk. Yeah, there is 
even though I'm useless with my hands and I own the construction business, um, I'm, I know that every person would, if I asked them to work extra, if I asked them to do something out of their scope, they would do it because they know that if they didn't, I would step in and do it either with them or instead of them. Mm. So, um, and I know it as a coach now, it's very much, you know, I don't expect anybody to use a template or to read a book that I've not read or I've not used. So um, I think that's the value that I stand by uh, through and through, you know, that you know, you've got to walk the walk, you know, never ask anybody to do it that, you know, you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. Um, so, yeah, cool. I, I would hope that would say um, on a negative side, I think they would probably say that uh, I'm too controlling and I've often been referred to as a head headmaster or a head teacher. Um, but actually that fits quite well with what I do now as a coach, because sometimes you have to be a little bit, look, come on, you need to get this done. Uh, so it fits well at the moment, but yeah, um, I think sometimes I probably flex either way, either side of that way might, <laughs> might not fit too well with some people. But you're right. As a coach, our job is to say the difficult things, right? Yeah. Especially if it, and, and as a consultant, we had to do this too. Lisa and I would go into these different consulting roles at businesses around the U.S. And a lot of times you have to go in and tell the the leader, hey, the reason things aren't working is you, you know, yeah. sending mi mi mixed messages. You're uh, not delegating and letting go. The, you're not giving the authority to go along with the task. You know, you're keeping two hands on. We have to say those difficult things. And that's yeah. uh, that's what we get paid for. And, and as a leader, one of the skills is actually being able to hear that and decide and discern whether it's something you do with. And that's where the mission comes in. You know, if you can make a decision, do I listen to this? Does it help me achieve my mission and my vision or does it move me further away? But uh, it, it's interesting. I, and I don't say this. Um, it's going to sound awkward as I'm going to say it, but I'll say it as it is, as I often do plain speaking. But. I was renowned for making most grown people, most grown men in construction businesses cry. Wow. And one thing I would say to, to the listeners is, as a leader, I never had to shout at anybody. I never had to hurl abuse at people. But I, I did have a way in making people feel that they let themselves down and let me down by doing something wrong or not following the process. And some people who had gone completely off the rails and perhaps had caused their team members huge, huge problems, you know, by talking to people gently and getting them to see the, the problems that they'd made, not just for themselves, but for other people, you know, it, without having to raise my voice, you know, very often they, I've had people sit in front and just break down in tears and apologize so much to me and to the team. And I think, you know, that's that's something as well as a leader. It's it's how you get people to very clearly see that the impact that they're having is a negative effect on the people they're working with as well. And what the right way is and what the wrong way is. And, you know, none of them ever left Harlan. That's the, that's the thing. So if I was doing something really bad, they'd have left wouldn't they, when I made them cry. But mo they all stayed because they did it out of respect and they knew that they'd let themselves down as well yeah. and that's always important and it's never something i bragged about because it's it's not a skill that i like to take pride in but i think as a leader getting the most out of people by enabling them to see 
you know, the journey that they're on and the impact it's had on other people, I think is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can say something to them and it may or may not have an impact, but when they come to the realization themselves, and we do that a lot by asking questions to get them to hopefully take a step back and look at the situation when they realize, Oh, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, that has the big impact. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and very often that can just break break them, yeah, and they just go, "Wow, I didn't realize I've been doing this for so long, and you know, had such an impact on the people working around me." Yeah, people who they consider friends, work colleagues, hmm. letting me down doesn't mean as much as letting them down. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about courage. Mm. On the program, we talk about different types of courage that we as leaders have to kind of step into um as leaders. there's intellectual courage right the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs uh the knowledge you currently have to make room for brand new knowledge even if that's coming from a subordinate or from an unusual area a lot of times that can be scary for leaders right they they think they have to be the smartest person in the room um empathetic courage being able to set aside your emotions to make room for somebody else's emotions uh mm -hmm. social courage uh, saying what needs to be said when it needs to be said even if it's unpopular um, we also talk about where do you find the courage to walk away from the nine to five to create your own success? And where do you find the courage to overcome those setbacks, the the failures, the bankruptcy, the divorce, the illnesses, things like that? Um, where did you find your courage to to break away from the job to kind of create your own success? Where did that come from? I think our ability to have courage and, you know, courage for me, my definition is to have a fear and to push on regardless. And I, I wouldn't say um, without thinking about it and planning for it, but you know, it's having the fear and pushing on. And you know, we talked about flying and things like, you know, we've all overcome those fears, otherwise we would never have taken control of an aircraft. Because uh, that's, you know, taking the first solo flight is fearful enough, um, yes. definitely. Yes. Uh, am I ever gonna find the field that they've sent me to? <laughs> but. Uh, where mine came from, if I was to put a point in time on it, it would be when I sat underneath the desk. And I think I've shared this story with you before, but for the listeners, it was when I was underneath the desk at a, a school parents evening and a teacher, uh, my parents couldn't find a, a sitter for me. So I had to go along and I was about nine, 10 years old. And this teacher was telling my parents how I would admit uh, I would get to be nothing. I was the lowest of the lowest class in the school. Uh, and this teacher was just absolutely slating my character, my personality, my ability to learn. And I sat underneath that desk and bear in mind what I said about my parents uh, earlier. They were, oh, it'll be okay, kind of thing. Middle of the road, no criticism. Nothing. But I sat there, Mr. Ollie, the teacher's name was, um, and actually, I ended up moving near him in later in life, which was quite ironic. I used to see him every day. But at that point, I said, enough's enough. This guy is not going to talk about me like that. And I am going to make a change. And I think at that point, that was when courage started to swell within me. And I decided to push beyond the limits that I'd got. And by the end of that school year, uh, I was in the top class. I wasn't the top of the top class, but I was, I'd was. i moved up so many classes uh, and set my sights 
on who I could be. And I think that for me, having the courage to know that I could be better uh, if I put my mind to it was the start of it all. So I definitely take it back to, to that one point. And it all comes from that. And it wasn't from my parents. It was from Mr. Ollie. And I've I've actually sent him a thank you. And I told him several times, thank you for getting me from underneath that desk to be the person that I am today. And other people have had an impact in my life, similar, yeah. but he was the start of it, definitely. Yeah. I was going to ask him, was there somebody that that demonstrated courage that you said that's that's what I want to be or that's how I want to be? Yeah, I, I think my my best friend and the person who got me into flying, uh, Roland, uh, he was the first person I ever worked for. So when I started work at seventeen, you know, when I worked into walked into the office, he was the first person that greeted me, and I was his sort of apprentice. I was his assistant. Uh, and we became such good friends and we both owned a construction business. I actually set up my business before he took on his own business and he got me into motorcycles. You know, at his funeral, he unfortunately passed away at the age of 56. Mm. Um, and he still has an impact even now. But the life I live now was because of him and the example he set. So he would definitely be one of the key, key people. And Tony Robbins as well, you know, as a as a thought leader, definitely. And the other person, I suppose, who gives me courage is is my wife because she doesn't give me the the external encouragement, but she gives me the reason uh, to step out above and beyond uh, of, of the person I am. Definitely, awesome, very cool. So, what type of courage do you think is important for entrepreneurs? If you were to look at some of your clients you have now, or maybe past clients, and see where they were kind of faltering, what kind of courage do you think oh. would help them? I, I think that's a simple one. Uh, it's the it's the courage that how many times as entrepreneurs and business owners do we get asked a question by our employees, by our team, by our coach, and we think, you know, is it me, really? And the courage is to accept, yes, it is. Because as you said, usually the business owner is the roadblock. And if you've given somebody a task and they've come back to ask questions and you think, was it me? Did I, didn't I explain it correctly? Then have the courage to always give the answer. Yes, it is me. And how can I do it differently? How can I do it better? Um, and I think that is, a, is very, very difficult for a lot of business owners because they always try and point the finger somewhere else you know and i'm sure the listeners have heard you know if you point the finger three fingers point back at you and one point goes up to heaven you know that's that's the way the the priorities work so yes we have got to look at ourselves and think is it me am i doing it as well as i could do as am i being as clear as i could be am i being the leader and having that clarity and having that um sort of guidance to others that i could have so that would be a big courage thing for me. Absolutely. And uh, you talk about business leaders, parents too. They'll say mm. something to their kids and the kid will look at them and go, what? And they'll repeat it a little louder, thinking that's going to help. <laughs> and then they'll repeat it a third time, a little louder. Like, don't keep repeating yourself. If they don't understand it, it's how you're saying it. It's how you're communicating. So yeah. take a step back and try to try to explain a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, we've got no children, just lots of animals. And uh, yeah, uh, animals actually do work if you shout louder. Um, but 
how many times have we gone overseas to a different language speaking country and we say something and we try and speak a little bit of their lingo and when they don't understand we just emphasize it or we shout louder as well i've definitely done that and you start to pronounce it don't you mm-hmm. do you understand me <laughs> breaking it down like that doesn't work doesn't make a slightest bit you know doesn't help at all so tell us about your podcast the business success and quality podcast yeah so it you know you and i've spoken about this quite a bit uh and you know our podcasts have been very much aligned in our journey it came out of the pandemic and i did a a series of webinars to try and encourage people with different tips and different advice and i wanted to do something different and podcasts were just starting to gain a little bit of momentum and i used to listen to a podcast called coffee break spanish to try and learn to speak spanish which it did a fairly good job of in fairness for my holidays never for much more for for my vacation but it was trying to do something in a coffee break and i thought what better way i love coffee i was drinking a lot of coffee during the the lockdowns at my coffee machine i love starbucks as well um so so that's where the coffee came from and my idea harlan was to get business owners sharing their tips with other business owners as it happened i ended up with out of what 220 episodes as mm-hmm. as i stand recording this probably only a 30 40 of those were business owners the rest of them were coaches and consultants really they were great guests to give great tips to other business owners uh, so it's really looking at people who have a story to tell something in their life or in their business that can help other people navigate through their own business success uh, and I, I i can't tell you how privileged i am to have had so many guests you know we talked in the just before the recording started about mike mccallowitz i've had daniel Priestley, got marcus sheridan um fingers crossed coming on very soon um you know some of the guests that i've had and the stories they've told have been life-changing and so inspirational to the listeners as well and i hope this would inspire people as well unfortunately i think podcasts got a little bit diluted because so many people are doing it now um and who knows where it'll go and i've got a new podcast series that's starting very soon but uh yeah yeah anybody who wants to subscribe to sterling's business success and coffee podcast as well as the Coach League podcast, yeah, please subscribe, leave a review. It's always good to have those two things. Absolutely. And subscribe. Subscribe. big too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you have a new That's how you get to know what next ones are coming along. Exactly. Exactly. You get notified. You have a, a new project coming up. You're talking about your new I, podcast that's coming up. You're doing that differently. You're doing a series at a time, right? I am. I, am, I, I realized taking the Netflix model that as a culture i think most people not only want to digest content in an audio way so that they can multitask which is where podcasts have become so valuable when we're mm-hmm. out doing our daily walk or at the gym or driving a car as i listen to them but also people like to be binge worthy so if they have to wait i get so frustrated i don't know about you harlan but if i want to watch something i'm watching um an apple tv program at the moment um I, I can't think of a lady's name who's who's on it now but it's where her husband has disappeared 
and they don't know why he's disappearing. It's evolving out into the fact that he was in the witness prote protection program. And there's an element of anticipation for the next episode. But actually, I just I can't I get frustrated that I have to wait until next week. Uh, so I'd much rather watch two or three at a time. I don't have to remember what the next one. I don't want to watch the intro again and right. all that kind of thing, the recap. So I've decided to do the same with the podcast because I think people, if they want to what, listen to one, they might want to go straight into the next one and probably two or three at a time. Yeah. So I'm going to launch six, six at a time, probably in a series. And it's a particular theme because it's, a lot of the guests in the other podcast, and I feel I'm doing too much talking here, so shut me down no, if I need to. But a lot of the guests that I had on the business success were people of faith, people in ministry, pastors. Uh, and yeah, that's always been a thing for me to include my faith and, and my beliefs into the way that I do business. So this podcast is very much focusing on how business uh, can be done because we all have compromises on how we do business and how we live by our values and by our faith yeah. and that's what this podcast is really going to help people that have a faith answer those questions of how could we do business slightly differently and how do we tackle those decisions that we might feel compromised on as well so it's nice. a very very targeted and very specific uh, thing i've i've already had some great guests and i've got some more guests uh lined up if i've got dwight on really? in a couple of days nice. time as well so yeah he's uh, he's going to be a guest uh on i think later this week so that'll be a great episode as well nice so you're going to wait and record six or so at a time and then release them all as one series yep yes nice. and and probably yeah and then do a same podcast title but then series two so uh yeah nice. do it in that way very cool good job what else is coming up for you what's what's on the horizon you've done so much you've accomplished so much What's next? Yeah, um, for me, it's a um, big push on the group programs that I've got, right. um, both on the businesses and uh, for, the, for the coaches, because that's my way of scaling my business. Um, so I'm going to be doing lots of uh, demo sessions because I don't think many people understand what a group coaching program right. is or what a mastermind is and that knowledge transfer. So I'm going to be doing lots of alternatives to webinars and workshops um so i've got the next one coming up which i've already got people registered for um but the the other thing harlan is the use of better diagnostic tools you know you and i have talked about this before with the fix this next assessment um so i've signed up to daniel Priestley's score app uh and that's why i've been looking at value builder as well by john warrilo mm -hmm. and just trying to work out more diagnostic tools to help people get a real sense of where they where they are and i think as in times of uncertainty that benchmarking and that yeah. showing people the current status of where they are and where they need to go next is so so important so yeah. um yeah, those two things groups and scorecards and benchmarking they're the two things for me yeah very good yeah a lot of businesses small businesses especially they don't always know where they are they think they know but once you start diving yeah. in they didn't realize some of the things that are there i was talking in terms of uh flight planning, right? When you're getting ready to fly outside of the normal area, you may file a flight plan. Where are you now? Where are you hope to be your destination? And then how do you plan to get there? And it all yeah. starts off with exactly where you are. Same thing in business. Where are you now? Customer-wise, employee-wise, uh, revenue-wise, profit-wise, where are you? 
And then where do you really want to be? And then what's that time frame? And then how do you plan to get there? And just talking about, you know, where they are, the numbers, a lot of business owners don't, don't understand their numbers. No, absolutely. And the thing I would say, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Harlan, uh, and listeners as well, because many of us don't like to be told where we're going wrong, but actually getting a report and a diagnostic seems to be more readily accepted. So me getting on a, a diagnostic call with people and saying, tell me why this, oh, that's perhaps not as good as you think it should be. That feels very personal. And I had a first coaching session with a new client last week. And he said, I just want to be straight up. He said, I've had bad experiences with coaches because every coach has been judgmental. I can't stand being judged. So I think the the app and the diagnostic doesn't feel so judgmental as a person saying these are the areas you need to improve. And I think that's a human trait that we have. We don't like to be criticized. Yeah. Um, some of us embrace it, but many of us in those initial connections don't like that. So I'm hoping that that will create a different level of acceptance of this is where you are and getting that awareness that you talked about. I don't know what how you found that with the people you've worked with Harlan and the, the get other guests you've had, we don't like to be told that right. we're not doing things as well as we should do. Right. And that's the difference between a consultant who comes in and tells you how to do things in your business. And a coach asks you, what have you tried so far? Where do you, you know, how did that work for you? What, what might yeah. we try differently? Right. Ask the questions, get them to see, Oh, here's something I could try to do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think that's, you know, you asked where people perhaps might say things about me. That's where I tend to perhaps just step a little bit outside of that. And sometimes I'll say, really? You should be, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more strong in that suggestion sometimes. Yeah. Can I be blunt? Yeah. Do this. Yes, yeah. uh, absolutely. Very cool. Simon, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking time out. Um, if people want to learn more about you, they want to follow you if they want to um, find out about your programs the coaching programs you have how can they do that what's your website um the the one that's most encompassing is sterling which is s-t-e-r-l-i-n-g hyphen or dash coaching.com so if you look there you'll you'll find access to the coaches resources and lots of good content lots of videos um etc uh, and connect with me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, I'm very social. I love Facebook. I love LinkedIn. So, you know, if you search for Sterling Coaching on Facebook or Sterling Business Coaching, you'll definitely find me and Simon Meadows on on LinkedIn. There's a few of us, um, but uh, I'm sure you'll find me the one that's business coaching. Definitely. Very good. And your Monday's moments. You put that out every Monday. Every week, let's say it's not always on a Monday, but every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this month, yeah. it's, this month I've missed a few because here in the UK we've had three public holidays on a Monday with the coronation. So uh, sure. the first one went out today. But yeah, there's 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 usually something going out. Yeah, at least two or three times a week. Excellent. Very good. All right, listeners. Hope you guys are taking a lot of notes. A lot of good information here. Definitely check out Sterling-Coaching.com. And check out Simon and Sterling Coaching on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, again, Simon, this is episode 250 for me. Um, yeah. What a milestone. I think it's gonna be the, yeah. I think it's going to be the last podcast for a little while. I think Lisa and I are going to take a little hiatus. Um, I will definitely come back with another podcast, but probably a diff little different format. 
I'm not sure exactly what that format will take, but uh, I really appreciate you being episode number 250. And thank you so much. And the thing I would say, listeners, as well, because I know Harlan is doing some incredible travels and has so many stories that I know he's going to be able to share of doing business as a digital nomad and uh, so many different insights. If you subscribe to the Kush Elite podcast, you'll also get to find out about what comes next, as well as obviously connecting with you on social media. Holland. So, yeah, you're, you're an inspiration and you have some remarkable uh, insights and ways and perspectives of looking at things. And, and you know, I strongly suggest the listeners connect with you and reach out to you and subscribe so they get to find out what is going to happen next, because I'm sure there's another uh, another story just around the corner. Absolutely. An adventure, another adventure around the corner. Another adventure. Yes, that's a good, I like that word. That's so much better than story. Yeah, adventure, definitely. All right. So listeners, definitely share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues. Subscribe so you do get notified when the next episodes come out, when the new podcast comes out. And uh, I'll keep you informed on all the travels and the adventures. And stick around, because who knows what's around the next corner. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now. Bye for now.